Uh, Our text that we're going to be studying this afternoon is in Mark chapter 12. We're continuing our study through the gospel according to Mark. It is the section uh, entitled, if you have headings in your Bible, The Widow's Offering. Money talks. You know this. Money talks. In the world that we live in, money talks. If you want to get things done, you know in certain situations, a little bit of money, a lot of money can speak. It gets things done. Money speaks. Sometimes it says who gets elected. Sometimes it says who gets the job. Sometimes it tells us who is important or what is important. In the world that we live in, money has a way of speaking, a kind of way of talking that often brings a kind of influence and power into a situation. Money itself is certainly not bad by any means, but sometimes how it speaks to us can be can have kind of a strange, hypnotic, kind of mesmerizing way of speaking to us and causing us to gloss over when the numbers get bigger. In the world that we live in, money talks. But in the kingdom of God, the kingdom that Jesus brought in his ministry to the earth, money talks as well, but not in the same way. It doesn't speak the same language. It doesn't say the same thing. It doesn't exert influence and power. But instead, in the kingdom, money speaks about what's in our hearts. In God's kingdom, money has a wonderful way of speaking out loud what is often hidden in our hearts. In our study through the book of Mark, Jesus is making disciples. He's got 12 guys. He is training them. He is preparing them. And he is getting, in this stage in the gospel, very close to handing over the reins. He is training these 12 men to be prepared to be the new leaders of a new era in the history of God's people, what we know as the New Testament church. These are the 12 guys that are going to steward all the teachings and actions of Jesus. And they're going to be responsible for laying the foundation that to this very day you and I read and rely upon and look to. These are the men that Jesus is preparing to carry that weight, to accomplish that goal. He's been teaching them and preparing them to instruct the church about worship, about the value of people, about children, about marriage, about divorce, about what it means to be great, about humility, and about serving others. And now, in our text, Jesus takes a seat in the temple where the offerings are being given, and he seizes an opportunity to teach his disciples something about money. He's going to teach these boys the true value of a dollar. He's going to teach them something about money in the kingdom of God. 
if these men are going to effectively lead the New Testament church, if they're going to lay a foundation that you and I would to this day rely upon, they're going to need to understand the difference between how the world we live in, money speaks, versus how in God's kingdom, money talks. Let's read our text together. Mark chapter 12, just a few verses, verses 41 through 44. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Father, would you take this text, these words that you've spoken, that you've given to us, in the preparation of studying this for this week, and Lord, would you speak to us as a church and help us understand your kingdom and how money speaks. In Jesus' name, amen. In the kingdom of God, sometimes money says that more is less. Point number one. Sometimes in the kingdom, money says more is less. It was time for the offering. Jesus was in the temple. He took a place by the offering baskets. This was getting close to the Passover feast. It was just a couple days before the Passover. And so people were flocking in from all over to celebrate this festival. Lots of people coming in. When they would make their journey to Jerusalem, they would go to the temple. And it was time to give their offering. Inside the outer court of the temple, there were several offering buckets. They were called shofar chests. They were like trumpet-shaped containers, like trumpet facing down. So if you can imagine a trumpet down, the bell on the bottom, the top was a small hole. Apparently they did it that way to keep people from reaching in and making change if they wanted to. And they had several of them. They had actually 13 of them lined up inside the outer court of the temple. And each one was kind of labeled for this or for that. And there were a variety of temple needs, things that needed to take place, things that needed to be maintained in the temple. And so all these 13 were, were earmarked for certain aspects of temple maintenance. Six of them were in the category of free will offerings. Now, it would seem that there was a little bit of a fanfare about this taking the offering that took place in the temple. It seemed like there was a way to sort of observe and know what was going on. So just imagine with me for a minute. If we were to have across the front here, oh, let's say four or five offering chest boxes, and we would lay them off, and one would be labeled general fund. 
Okay, this is our account for the church where all the operational and ministry expenses for the church happen in and through this fund, general fund. So most of you that give, you know this. You can give to the general fund. Then we had another box. We'll call this the benevolence fund. These are for members and beyond who face unexpected financial needs and require assistance. And so we have funds sitting aside to help people in situations like that. That's what the deacons are here for. They are stewarding the benevolence fund. And so when there's a need in the church, the deacons are notified and they process that request and make a determination if there's funds available and if the funds should be granted. Next box is the building fund. These are the funds that we've been saving for a future home, a future building to purchase one day. And so we've got a box called the building fund. We also have one, maybe you're not familiar with this, it's called the Mission Advance Fund. We started a fund several years ago. We call it the Mission Advance Fund. We put some money in there and invite you to give into that bucket monies, and these monies will be designated for anything church planting related. Preparing pastors, sending guys to the pastor's college, church planting ventures, investigating, reaching out to get new churches planted. The Mission Advance Fund is there. So we have these four boxes across the front. Now, continue to imagine with me, if we were to just take some time in our Sunday meeting to receive the offering. And you as members, guests, would come up one by one and like in the temple, there would be an attending priest, and you might come to that priest. Just pretend I'm the priest for now. And you would come, and you would tell me, I have an offering. And I would say, okay, and how much is it? And you would tell me how much it is, and what, what is it that you'd like this offering to go for? And I would then direct you to the box. And once you would walk over to the box, and you would put your money in there. Now imagine with me that on the screens, the monitors to my left and right, a dollar figure would pop up. And then we as a church could all respond. And there'd be some oohs, and there'd be some ahs, and there'd be some ah, and there'd be some yes, depending on how much was given and maybe to what it was given. And so we would all be sort of responding, and we would all be responding to a principle that more is more. It's true. More is more. $100 is more than 10. 1,000 is more than 100, and 10,000 is more than 1,000. More is more. We know this to be true. And when more money is given, it's more. And that's good. Jesus pulled up a chair and is watching this going on. And somehow it's known that there were many rich people putting in large amounts of money into these chests, into these coffers. People knew it. They knew it. There was a sense of more is more. And so the rich were getting the accolades of giving large donations. Then the widow comes up and drops in what would be the smallest of offerings. And Jesus, sitting there observing, says, discipleship opportunity has come. And he calls the 12 and has a talk. It said many rich people put in large sums. And it was impressive. 
Anyone observing was impressed. The rich givers knew it. Everybody saw it. Now Jesus begins to teach the disciples something very important. More isn't always more. Sometimes more is less. They had to unlearn some things about money, about in the world that we live in, the way money talks. They had to unlearn the way money talks in this world, and they needed to learn how in the kingdom of God money talks. Different language, different currency. The key, Jesus says, the difference was that the rich that were giving were giving out of their abundance. In other words, there was no real sacrifice involved in the offering. They didn't really miss the money. They were glad to give it because they were observed giving it, and it spoke well of them. But as far as their bank account and their lifestyle was going, they didn't miss what they gave. Jesus tells the disciples that fact makes those gifts less, even though they were more. Sometimes more is more, but sometimes in the kingdom, more is less. A gift in God's kingdom is measured more by the sacrifice than the amount. This was an altogether different economy, a different value system that the disciples, that it was imperative that the disciples learned this new economy, this new way of understanding how money speaks. It's not that large gifts are bad. In fact, could I thank you, whoever you are, for the occasional large gifts that come into the church? I keep quite a distance between the details of who gives and who doesn't in the church, but I do know that oftentimes, usually several times throughout the year, that we might be a little bit under budget and not quite there, and then all of a sudden uh, a larger gift comes in and brings us up to speed. And you hate to bank on this, and I don't know what the detail is. I don't know if you came into an inheritance, got a bonus, sold something. Uh, I, I don't know what the circumstances are behind it. I just know I've been tracking church finances for 22 years, and it's not uncommon that once, twice, three times throughout the year, somebody comes into some money or decides to give some extra money, and we always say, what a blessing. Isn't it wonder how the Lord takes care of the needs of the church? So, don't get me wrong. Large gifts are large gifts, and they're a blessing. It's not the point that Jesus is making, but he is making a very important point, that God looks on the heart, and the real value lies in what it costs you to give, not the amount that you give. In God's kingdom, sometimes more is less. Second point, in the kingdom of God, sometimes money says that less is more. Sometimes more is less. Sometimes less is more. One poor widow gave an offering that Jesus observed. 
It was the smallest of offerings imaginable. A little coin known to them as the lepta, the smallest denomination of currency, a copper coin about a centimeter in diameter, and our translation tells us that two of them make a penny. Okay, this is the thing that if you saw on the sidewalk, you have to wonder, should you bother to pick it up or not? And maybe if you're really tight, you look around, see if anybody's watching, and you might pick it up, but probably not. It was fairly worthless. You could not get a, it could not be money and be a smaller amount of money than these two little coins. And these are the two coins that she drops into the offering. It was understood that her offering would have no real impact. I'm just trying to imagine the priest on duty when she comes up and says, I have a penny to put in the offering. No comment. doesn't matter what bucket you put in. I don't care. Just throw it in any one because it's not going to make a difference in any one of the buckets. It has no effect. This will... You know, this won't even register. Instead of hearing what they've been listening to, heavy coins, bagfuls being dropped in, clinking at the bottom of the upside-down trumpet, the, the noise that's created by it, and all of a sudden her two little coins fall like feathers into the bucket and barely make a sound. Everything about what's going on here is saying, this is so insignificant. It's as close to nothing and meaningless as possible. And yet this is what Jesus noticed. And he noticed what nobody else did and what nobody else would. Here was his discipleship moment taking place. He knew this woman was a poor widow. Widows in that time were some of the most vulnerable people in society. They did not have immediate family that took the responsibility upon themselves to care for and provide for her. She was left at the whim of society to help her. She had no other source of provision and protection. And we see throughout the Bible that the more sinful a society is, the more neglected the needy would be. And so if society was not in a good place, she was not in a good place. She was poor. It's very possible that some in this aspects of this story is really meant to play even a broader contrast it just says rich people were putting in, but we've kind of got the scribes in our mind from the previous paragraph that Bill talked about last week. And the indictment against those scribes and those religious leaders was that they devour widows' houses. And so there certainly is a bit of a contrast here where you have the big donors maybe after taking advantage of the poor, with all pomp and circumstance, making their gifts only for themselves to be known. While this 
poor widow had next to nothing. But Jesus makes this point. It was her poverty that made her offering more. It was because she had so little that her offering was, he said, more. More than what the rich people were putting into the boxes. Because this offering cost her more than the offerings of the rich person. In God's kingdom, sometimes less is more. King David understood this concept of the kingdom way back when. You might remember this story. There was a time when David, as king, sinned against God by counting the people. He ordered a census to be taken. He wanted to count heads. Now, it's not that God's against counting people. The book of Numbers is about God counting people for his glory, saying, look, I started with just a few. I really started with one, and then there was a handful, and I count them all up, and look, now there's over 600,000. It was to God's glory to count up the number of people that he developed as the people of God. But here it was different. And David displeased the Lord because now David was not doing a God-centered count. He was doing a man-centered count. Whatever the detail was, what he was doing was displeasing to the Lord. And the Lord convicted him. And the Lord said, David, I'm going to bring a punishment for this sin. I'll give you three options. The nation of Israel can have three years of famine. You can have three months of being attacked by your enemies, or you can have three days of the sword of the Lord coming through the nation and taking lives. David chose the last one. For three days, the sword of the Lord was coming through. Many people lost their lives, and the ones who didn't were grieving over the lives that were lost. It was a terrible three days in, nations, in the nation's history. David decides at that point he's going to offer something to the Lord, and he goes to a field, a field that belonged to somebody else, and he says, I would like to buy your field because I'm going to make an offering to the Lord here in order to stop the sword of the Lord at this point. The man who owned the field said to David, it's yours. Look, we're in this together. It's all yours. Take it, free of charge. And David said, no, no, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to pay for it. He said, I will not take for the Lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. The value of the gift was in the sacrifice required to make it. It was the cost, the personal cost, that made the offering sincere and genuine and gave it, in God's eyes, increased value. You see that to give sacrificially requires faith. It means if I'm going to give sacrificially to you, it means I'm going to really have less and I'm going to feel the less. It's going to cost me, which means now I'm lacking something that now I have to trust the Lord for. I need faith in order to give this away because then I won't have it and it increases my dependence on the Lord. And it is that faith that God 
cherishes, in fact, says it is worth more than gold. There was a lack of faith in David's decision to count the people. Now there was genuine, real faith in his repentance. The real treasure in God's eyes lies upon our faith. That's what he values. And that's what makes less more. Sacrifice outvalues money. Even a little with sacrifice is worth much more than without it. The poor widow gave out of her poverty, making less more. Third and final point, in the kingdom of God, everything is required. Everything is needed. Let me explain. Her offering wasn't just small. It was all she had. She gave not just a little offering. She gave everything she had. She had two leftists. She could have kept one. As far as I'm concerned, she could have kept two. I'm no Jesus. If she would have come to me and says, what do you think I should do? I said, do not give in the offering. You keep it. Buy some food. Take care of yourself. We don't need this money. You need it. You keep it. She said, well, I was thinking about giving. What if I give one? Yeah, give one. Yeah, okay, okay, one. Keep one for yourself. Maybe you can buy a piece of bread to get you through this day. Jesus knew those two worthless little coins was all that she had to live on. She did not just give out of her poverty. She gave all that she had. I don't know if you remember this. I, I may have told this story before. In our early years of marriage, Tammy and I had some, some lean years starting off. You know, it was a season of life. I don't know if you can relate to this. You, 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 you don't know what a full tank of gas is. You would never fill up your tank. It was always, you know, what do I have? Do I have a couple dollars? I can put five. I can put $10 in. Your change out of the couch, you know, to put some gas in the car. It was just, it was that kind of a life for a season for us. It was, it was lean. And I, rem- I do remember the time, it was maybe a day or two before payday. And I think we had $2 to our name. And we just looked at each other and we kind of laughed and went to McDonald's and each bought an ice cream cone. And celebrated our last $2 for the week. And in a couple days, the paycheck would come. But Tammy and I always had, really, so many safety nets in our lives. There was a paycheck coming. There was family nearby. There were friends we could call. If we dared ask the question, there were many people that would have been come, would come and be willing to help us. We were not without options, even though we were spending our last $2 for the day. It was not the case for this widow. She had no safety net like we 
all have safety nets in our lives. She didn't have other options. She had a penny, and she gave it to God. She gave everything she had. Paul, the apostle, wrote to us lots of instructions about giving, and he, he commended those who gave sacrificially to help other churches in need. He commended how the churches over here begged to participate and help the poor in Jerusalem. He commended their faith for doing that, but he, at the same time, he also explained that, like, while I'm encouraging you to give, you need to understand my point is not to take you who have money and make you poor so that those who don't have money can become rich. That's not the point. We're looking for equity. If you have extra, we want you to share so that you can help those that are in need. We have all these biblical principles about giving and about money. Was it required? that she give anything? Could she have kept them? Could she have kept one? She gave it all. Why, why did she give everything she had in that offering? As I said, it was a special time. We were just a day or two before the Passover festival. Everybody's coming into town to celebrate the Passover. And when you came, you would go to the temple and you would give. Now, I think it's safe to assume that this woman was not in the habit of every time she had money, she gave all of it in the offering. That would make for one difficult lifestyle. Surely it was not the pattern that every time she had any kind of money, all of it was given away. But this was a special occasion. This was the Passover. This was the time that Israel was told, I don't want you to ever forget what God did for you. I want you to remember how you as a people were in bondage, in slavery, in Egypt, and how God, with his mighty hand, delivered you out of that slavery and put you into a good land and made you a people and provided for you with a, with a good land. You came from nothing. You had nothing. Had not God intervened, you wouldn't exist as a people. And yet you do, because God did intervene. This was an annual celebration so that the people of God would never forget where they came from. That the people of God would never forget what God had done for them to save them, to rescue them out of their bondage in Egypt. This was a special occasion. And she comes into the temple, approaching Passover, and decided in her heart, it was time to give it all. She gave everything she had to the Lord. At the same time, Jesus is there. In the storyline, Jesus is nearing the end of his time on the earth. He made his way to Jerusalem for this feast, but not just for this feast. He went there knowing he himself was about to be the Passover lamb. He came to die. He came to give himself. He came to Jerusalem to give his all. He had to give 
everything. He had to lay down his life. He could withhold nothing. He couldn't give one of the two coins. He had to give everything. His whole life had to be laid down if the people of God were going to know life at all. If there's going to be a New Testament church, if there's going to be the people of God, it would all depend on Christ coming in to Jerusalem and giving all of himself. Jesus was well aware of what it meant to give everything. And when he watched this poor woman put in everything she had, the dots connected. And the grace of God was on display because giving everything was required. This is the nature, this is the real currency of God's kingdom, total sacrifice. Everything was required. She was not required to give her all, but she did. He was. He had to. No salvation except for the fact that he gave himself. Her action reflected his reality. Her action reflects the reality that you and I are really all called to as disciples of Jesus. Jesus told some fishermen, leave it all and come follow me. He told his disciples that if you seek to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will surely find it. This is the true nature of God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, when someone gives it all, it means everything. We get everything. Christ gave it all. And we gained everything because of it. This poor woman caught Jesus' attention. It's being talked about in churches to this day and will continue to be talked about in churches. Because of an offering she gave that could not have been smaller, but could not have been greater. What can we take away from what Jesus taught by her example? Maybe the worship team wants to make their way up as I just talk through some applications. There's some big principle takeaways for us. Jesus gave himself for us, calls us to lay down our lives for him with great promise and hope. So the phrase, you need to lay down your life for Jesus. Uh, no, with that call comes great hope and promise. Another big picture principle, we're, we're not actually owners of anything here, rather owned by God, and we are entrusted as stewards, called to manage well 
what God has entrusted to our care. You realize that? You don't own your house. Your name's on the bank account, but it's God's. God owns it all. All came from his hand, entrusted to us. In God's kingdom, we're referred to as stewards, not owners. The ownership is his. Another principle, when we give sacrificially, we reflect Christ and give off an aroma of Christ. When we give sacrificially, when it cost us something, that's when it begins to smell good. That's when the aroma starts coming through. When you really feel the loss of it, when you experience some loss, you have less because you've given something away, that act, that sacrifice, that cost, that's where the aroma comes from. People start seeing Christ. Now it becomes great. And even small gifts, even small gifts can be great in God's eyes. Because he gave himself for us, our gifts should be given cheerfully. You know the phrase, God loves a cheerful giver. Only in the kingdom can you smile while you're giving away money. It's a joy. It's a joy to give. So let me ask you, what's the, what's the next step for you? We lay out this story. We read this text. We find out in the kingdom of God, money talks differently. Sometimes more is less. Sometimes less is more. And everything is necessary. Friends, everyone should be giving something. Even if it's a penny. God sees gifts and is pleased no matter how small. Are you giving? Has your giving lost its cheerfulness? One of the dangers of digital giving, set up an automatic thing that just kind of happens. If you even think about it, that's why we started integrating a, a, a prayer of dedication in the service for the offerings because we realize these transactions are happening at various times throughout the week, throughout the month, and you wonder if anybody is even noticing that acts of worship are taking place. And so we stop in the meeting and say, now, let's just gather it all up and commit this to the Lord and draw attention to it and realize that while the, the digital world is, is moving money from here to there, those reflect actual acts of worship on the part of God's people. And we should be celebrating that. Hard question. Is your giving absent of any real sacrifice? 
it's good to give. We're all grateful when you give. But is it less? Because there's no sacrifice in the giving. Now, I know we're talking about money primarily, but, but please, let's not, let's not limit what we're talking about just to money. When you give your service, when you give your time, when you give your energy to help another, And I know you folks, you do this so wonderfully. Maybe I'm the only one who, when you get the phone call, of something needs to happen, you're like, one more thing. Uh, do I have time? Can I fit this in? Sometimes helping each other, staying after the potluck to help clean up, bringing a, a dish to pass, taking time out of your Saturday night to come to sing and, and pray to God. This all takes some sacrifice. It all costs something. It all takes effort. And when it costs, the value of it goes up. Are you serving others? Are you giving yourself for the good of others? I know you are. I'm sure I only hear a small percentage of the stories of the realities of what's going on in the life of the church. And when you do, I hope you know, and I hope this story helps convince you about the pleasure of God in it. It's easy to miss. It's easy to forget. But God sees it. He sees every moment of effort that you make serving in children's ministry being a greeter coming early to help set up reaching out to a friend to a neighbor calling to pray for them check in see how they are a hospital visit on the one hand you could say well maybe it's small it's not small it's great because in the kingdom less is more measured by the sacrifice. I thank God for this church because I see this kind of thing happening and I know we're all vulnerable and susceptible and can drift. I think for the most part, and, and friends, I often ask myself, oh Lord, you know, how do you measure a healthy church? And the temptation is to always think, how many people are sitting here on a Sunday afternoon? How much money is coming in to the church accounts? But those are not necessarily the signs of health. They could be. They might be part of the story. But this story tells me something different. The real health is in the small things the acts of kindness, the serving, the giving, the willingness to function as a community, one with another. These things, they're great in God's eyes. 
And I feel like you excel in this. So the sermon is continue on in this grace of God that's in your life. Keep going. And check yourself. Is the cheerfulness gone? Is the level of sacrifice diminishing? Does it all just happen? I don't even know it's happening. I, don't, I don't barely know that I'm giving. Maybe the Spirit would challenge you in some fresh ways. Let's stand together. Father, thank you for this widow that shows up in our Bibles that gave a penny in an offering and made a story we will never forget and teaches us invaluable lessons about how money talks in your kingdom. Amen.